about Jesus' teaching ministry. Our gospel lesson, the parable of the sower who spread seed on different soils, is a clear example of Jesus' teaching ministry. Now, a parable is a practical, real-life story that illustrates a central spiritual truth. It often compares one thing to another. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's usually a word picture that compels us to discover the truth it conveys. We are left to search for that truth ourselves. As we will hear, uh, as we will hear in the lesson, or we did hear, many did not understand it. And his disciples asked him to explain this parable to them. Now, Jesus did not always use parables. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. There he has the Beatitudes and he has uh, ethical admonitions. But he often used parables to communicate truth about the kingdom of God. And get this, and to elicit a response of faith. Let me repeat that. He used parables to communicate truth about the kingdom of God and to elicit a response of faith in him. I think if we were to survey 100 people, just go out around town and survey 100 people and ask them this question, who is Jesus? We'd hear a variety of answers. And I'm certain that some people would respond like this. Well, I don't believe that Jesus is God, but he was a good man, and he was a wonderful teacher. Well, it's true. Jesus was a good man, and he was a wonderful teacher, but that's not who Jesus, all who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity these well-known words. Here's what he said. He wrote, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. As we look at the parable of the sower, we will see that a response of faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior is the purpose behind this parable. Jesus doesn't teach some esoteric philosophy that only those with special knowledge can understand. He did not intend for the response to his teaching to be like the Greeks. They loved to ruminate about new philosophies and speculate about the nuances of all they heard, but they weren't willing to make any kind of commitment. Remember how the Apostle Paul preached the Athenians. He shared the gospel with them, and they loved his new ideas. It tickled their ears, but they were not interested in making a commitment to the Jesus whom he proclaimed. When Jesus tells a parable, he is seeking to elicit a response. Jesus taught in such a way that called people to respond in faith to him. Parables were a means to reveal the secret of the kingdom of God, and they always call for response to make a commitment to the Lord of the kingdom. Alistair Begg once said, We will never come to grips with the message of Christianity from the safe distance 
of a detached curiosity. If you want to have a relationship with Christ, then faith and obedience to his teaching is essential. To personally commit ourselves to what Jesus teaches goes well beyond a detached curiosity about him. It's to bow before him and ask him to rule in our lives. You clearly heard in our gospel reading that not all people have these ears to hear or eyes to see the presence of the kingdom of God in Jesus. He has been been given for everyone, but hardness of heart or outright indifference to him keep many from making a commitment to him. It is faith which responds to his word. It is faith which leads us to follow him. Now, if you happen to be taking notes this morning, I want you to know I'm going to have four points. And my intent is not to have four sermons. You know, that happens sometimes. But one sermon with four points. You can tell me at the end if I did that or not. And here are the four points. The sower, the seed, the soil, and the question. Let's start with the sower. Well, Matthew tells us that such a large crowd gathered around Jesus that he had to get into a boat so he could teach all of them. Then he began to tell them parables. In fact, there are numerous parables that follow the one that we read this morning. So the first one is the parable of the sower. And in this parable, as I've said, it becomes clear that Jesus is seeking to elicit response. And it becomes clear that the word of God comes to us in seed form. When that seed is sound, when that seed is heard, it's met with different responses, as we see in this parable. But let's take a look at the farmer. It says, a farmer or a sower went out to sow his seed. The first thing we must notice about this farmer is that he represents Jesus. Jesus is a sower. And notice how generous the farmer is. He does not place one seed at a time in a, a separate hole in the ground, but he broadcasts the seed. Some falls on hard paths, some on rocky soil, some among thorns, and some falls on good soil. The farmer is certainly extravagant. Some might say he's even wasteful. When we identify the sword with Jesus, we get a picture of the gospel. His extravagant love is offered to the whole world, for God so loves the world. We don't deserve his love. Many of us will reject his love, but still he loves us. He loves us so much that he went to the cross for us. That sower represents the love of God in Jesus. And that sower also represents all who preach, teach, or share the word of God. All act as sowers of the word of God. Wherever God's word is shared, it's like a seed which is planted. And my guess is that every one of us has a story about someone who fulfilled that sower role in your life. It might have been a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, parent, grandparent, friend, or colleague. Maybe it was even a stranger. But all of them acted as a farmer in this parable. Next, let's go to the seed. The seed represents the word of God. In particular, it represents the teaching that Jesus has about the kingdom of God. The principle behind this parable is that the kingdom of God will come in all of its fulfillment as the word of God is spread and people come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
God's word can transform hearts. That's why preaching, by that I mean Bible-centered preaching, is so important. You are so blessed here at Joy Church to have Pastor Clayton, who centers his preaching on the biblical text. Pastor Clayton loves the Bible, and he knows that he was called to sow the seed of God's word among this flock. Some of you may have experienced in some other churches that that's not always the case. Social issues become the source of preaching and not the Bible. Well, the Bible does speak to contemporary issues, but opinions on issues should not drive our preaching. Yesterday, I spoke with a young pastor from Seattle. had just a wonderful conversation with him, and he told me that in his congregation, people have all kinds of different opinions on the different events happening in Seattle the past two years. He said, probably most of them think everybody agrees with them, but I know they don't. (laughs) He says, but here's what I do know. I know that they need to hear the word of God. I know that they long to hear the the word of God. And so I want to keep my preaching biblically centered that they might uh, hear a word that brings light to them in the darkness. Because it's only God's word that brings new life. It's only God's word that brings real and true hope. And there are people here this morning who have a personal story of encountering this life-changing power of God's word in the Bible. We don't have time, but it might be kind of fun sometimes to have people stand up and share their story. But I can imagine you felt lost or confused. Your life was out of control. You felt empty from living only for yourself. And it was the Bible, the Word of God, that shined light in your darkness, and it's changed you forever. If you feel like your Christian faith has grown stagnant, open your Bibles and begin to read with the expectation that God will speak to you. I know your pastor would love to help you with this. There are all kinds of Bible studies and and reading Bible reading plans. I know Pastor Clayton would love to help you with that, to get you into the Bible. The seed sown in our hearts gives our lives direction. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And how about this wonderful promise in Isaiah 55? So is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is alive. It changes hearts. There was a man sitting in a hotel room, despairing of his life. It was in shambles. He did not know if he could face another day. And then he just happened to open the drawer of the nightstand next to his bed. And what do you think he found there? A Gideon Bible. That's right. He found a Gideon Bible. And so he opened it. He didn't know where to start. He just opened it. And he turned to Psalm 50, 15. And here's what he read. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Then he turned a page. And there was Psalm 51. He read this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The word of God spoke to him. He knelt at his bedside and he called out to God and he poured out his soul. And through his tears, 
he heard God speak to him through the Bible. And he received the peace and hope of Christ in his heart. He was a changed man. If you'd like to read some powerful testimonies about how the word of God changes hearts, I encourage you to go to the Gideon's website. They've got wonderful testimonies. And I also understand that Mark Johnson with the Gideons, a good friend of mine, is going to be here next week. I'm sure Mark will have some stories about how the Bible has changed the lives of people. God's word is powerful. It changes hearts. It gives life meaning. It gives our lives direction. It reveals to us our need for God. And it promised to us the grace of God, his forgiveness and his mercy, which God offers to all people. That's the seed. Now let's take a look at the soil. Jesus continued his parable using description of different kinds of soil to describe the response that people make to his teaching. Verse 4 says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. His disciples said, well, what does this all mean? So in verse 19, he begins to explain what these different soils are. And here's what he says. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now clearly, as Jesus teaches this parable, he understands that not all people are going to be enamored with the word that he preaches. Especially after they begin to understand that he is calling them to a commitment to him. For a lot of people, they left at that point. They may have found his teaching interesting, but eventually they must have decided it was irrelevant to their lives. Or they heard him saying that he was calling sinners to repentance and not believing that they really were sinners. That word made them uncomfortable. Today, we might express it something like this. That may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, that way of looking describes that hardened path that Jesus talks about. They refuse to let the word of God penetrate their hearts and minds, just like the seed could not penetrate the hard soil. Jesus then mentions the evil one. He says he's always lurking about, not wanting anyone to place their faith in God. The evil one, Satan, he's the father of lies. He's the master of deceit. Twisting the words of God, you might remember he confused Eve by saying, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? And then he followed it up with these words, you surely will not die. That was a lie, but he's the master of lies. Years ago, I had an acquaintance at a rotary club I belonged to, and one time we were having a conversation. He informed me that he had outgrown Christianity. I thought to myself, how in the world do you outgrow Christianity? You can plummet the depths of the Christian faith forever. But that's what he said. I've outgrown it. He said he'd found other philosophies which were much more interesting to him than Christianity. And the message that he was a sinner and needed somebody else to do something for him, he just couldn't agree to that. What he implied was that he was really better than others. Once again, the father of lies had done his job. He was offering this man a counterfeit faith, which appealed to self-interest. The seed landed on hard ground, and it never took root. Let me read another quotation from C.S. Lewis. He said, Once people stop believing in God, 
The problem is not that they will believe in nothing. Rather, the problem is they will believe in anything. The second soil is rocky soil. Jesus said, some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Well, later, he explains what this means. He writes, or he said, the one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is a man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Well, the response that Jesus is describing is a temporary emotional response to the word of God. The word was sown. The person had a joyful response, was probably baptized, became involved in all kinds of activities in the ministry of the church, but now they're no longer here. What happened? No roots. You see, emotions are fickle. We have highs, we have lows. Following Jesus does give us joy. There is joy in following Jesus. And it also calls for a serious commitment that is steadfast even when our emotions are wavering. William Barclay, in his Bible commentary, had an explanation for this soil. Some people's lives are littered with things they begin and never finish. A man can be like that with the word. When he hears it, he may be swept off his feet with an emotional reaction. But no man can live on emotion. Christianity has its demands, and these demands must be faced before it is accepted. The Christian offer is not only a privilege, it is also responsibility. A sudden enthusiasm can always so quickly become a dying fire. Many years ago, uh, two friends and I had the opportunity to visit communist China. It was our hope that we might be able to visit an underground church we'd read about. In fact, we were able to do so. And while we visited that church, the pastor was there, and he invited us to have dinner with him in his home. And so we went there and had dinner with him. His name was Samuel Lamb. And Samuel Lamb had spent over 20 years in a prison work camp as the communists tried to brainwash him, to get him to leave his Christian faith. Why was he in the work camp? Well, his crime was that he preached the gospel, and that's why he was there. And when he was finally released, he was threatened with rearrest if he should ever preach the gospel again. Well, it's kind of a lengthy story, but let me just tell you, he did start to preach the gospel again, even though he'd been threatened that if he did that, he'd go right back to that work camp. And he did not want to go back there. But he was compelled by God to plant the seed, to sow the seed. That's what he was called to do. And he continued to be harassed, arrested, and, and uh, uh, you know, questioned, but he was never put back to that work camp for the rest of his life. He died just a few years ago, about the age of 90. Truly a sign of God's protection. But he said, even though he was being harassed, persecuted. His church is also being harassed. He said, in spite of that persecution, the church grew. And when we visited with him, he had a thousand members in his church. But he also said this. He said, I have a thousand members here, but there are many people who were members of this church when threatened by the government because they also harassed. 
they fell away. Troubles and persecution came, and they fell away. Well, Samuel Lamb was the opposite of rocky soil and a plant with no roots. But there were, and, and, and his church membership was like that too, but there were those who did fall away. Well, that's certainly a, a severe example. Fortunately, we're not faced with this yet in our country. But there are examples today of people who fall away when faced with opposition. Think of the college student who was raised in the Christian faith, who goes to college and faces the hostility that he or she might face because of the beliefs they hold in Christ. It's easier to go along with the crowd and part with the commitment to Christ. Or the man or woman who faces a health problem or a relationship problem or a financial problem and wonders, where, God, are you in this trouble? Disappointed that God did not respond as they expected, they fall away. The Baptists have a term for this. I appreciate the Baptists. The term is this, backslidden. People with shallow faith fall back from their earlier commitment to Christ. They're backsliders. The third soil is the soil with thorns. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Here's what Jesus said. This is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Whereas the other causes of lost faith were external, this one describes the internal. It is the pressure of divided loyalty. It is a characteristic of the time we live in that the most important relationship in our life, our relationship with Christ, can become crowded out of our lives. The things that occupy our time might all be good things, yet they can dominate our thoughts and cause us to begin to worry. A Pentecostal pastor friend once asked me how I was doing, and I spoke just three words. I said, I'm busy. And I'll never forget the response. You know what busy means? Well, I think so. No, you don't know what busy means. Busy is an acronym. It means being under Satan's yoke. Isn't that great? It's probably 30 years ago I heard that, and I never forgot it. Being under Satan's yoke. Busyness means that we're constantly trying to keep numerous balls in the air. And it becomes a balancing act. And we, and we can't do it. Something has to give. And what usually is that something that has to give? It's time with Christ. It's that personal relationship with Jesus. It's a fruitful life that Christ will give us as we dwell in him. And with that also becomes worries about how we're going to do it all. And will it all go well? And will we have the time and resources to do that which we think we need to do? These words from Jesus are straightforward. What causes one to backslide? It is our worries. And Jesus told us not to worry. How many worries do we have here? <laughs> I think we all worry over different things, right? Some more so than others. But Jesus told us not to worry. He told us that he's our good shepherd and he will provide for us. Now, there are some legitimate things we might worry about, even though we all know worry never solved any problems. There are worries in life. And in this parable, I think Jesus is saying the important thing is how we respond to them. When worry comes, it is so important that we stop, we look up, 
and we ask God to help us. And we trust God. We place it into God's hands. He is our help. He is our peace. God is our hope. And if it's not worry that chokes out our faith, Jesus goes on to say it's the deceitfulness of wealth can, that can do that. He does, uh, this, yeah, the deceitfulness. He does not just say wealth. He says the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth can be a blessing when it's used properly. When we recognize that God is the owner of all we have, when we understand that we are simply stewards, called to manage what God has given to us, that it's on loan from God to be used for his purposes. That's the right attitude to have. When we realize that we are blessed to be a blessing, then we will use our wealth in a way that glorifies God. And doing so, we will also grow in faith. Been all kinds of studies that show there's a direct connection, connection in how we use our wealth or our resources and our growth as Christians. When money does not dominate us, but we control money, we will grow as Christians in our faith. On the other hand, money can become a hindrance to our faith when our possessions possess us. When our hope is in our bank account and not in the goodness and grace of God, we're out of balance. Jesus said we cannot serve both God and money. That which we think is neutral can become a choking snare and our faith can become barren. Now let's look at the fourth soil, the good soil. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And here's how Jesus explained that. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is a man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. This soil represents the person who receives the word of God and prospers through faith and obedience to that word. This is a person who perseveres when trouble arises, who trusts God when persecuted for their faith. This is a person of faith who finds him or herself surrounded by thorns but produces a harvest anyhow as God works in him or her. The darker the hour, the brighter their face shines. You know somebody like that? I'm sure you do. I could tell you numerous stories of people I know who have been through horrible tragedies, and the darker the hour, the brighter their faith would shine. And their faith humbled me. Jesus wrote, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. The Christian a person of faith is obedient to God's word. The hearing of God's word will do nothing for you until you believe it, until you obey it, and until you bow down under it. When you hear God's word and apply it to your life, just like the good soil, God will produce in you fruit that will have an internal impact in the lives of others. Last weekend, I was a marshal at the Phoenix Open. And on Saturday... I was there with uh, about 250,000 of my best friends. <laughs> and it was kind of wild. It's, it's always an interesting experience. Last Saturday was an interesting experience. Anyhow, I was standing on the 11th hole tee box, and my job uh, was to hold the quiet sign. <laughs> what a joke with 250,000 people. <laughs> but I'm holding it up. 
And then the, the golfers to tee off, and they leave, and I have time to talk to the spectators while I'm waiting for the next group to come up. And I met some wonderful people, but one young man really touched my heart. We started talking, and he told me that he was a, from New Jersey. He and his brother and some friends were out to have a bachelor party for his brother, and uh, they decided to go to the Phoenix Open. They were playing golf the next day, and they were so excited to be in sunshine. And he also told me he's a police officer in New Jersey. So I thanked him. I said, thank you so much for your service. And as we started talking, I, I learned a little bit about his work and also about his family. He told me he had two children uh, who were quite young. And then he said this. He said, I'm really concerned about this world we live in. You know, I, I'm concerned about my kids. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? What kind of effects will it have on them? And so we, we talked a little bit. I mainly listened. Then he asked me, he said, what, did, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I never know where the conversation is going to go after that. <laughs> People tend to shut up, you know, <laughs> when I tell them. But I said, uh, I'm a retired pastor. And here was his immediate response. He said, we need the church. We need the church. And I thought to myself then, I thought about it later as well, what was behind those words, we need the church? I think I know, but what might have been? And I think he was saying, we need the church to profess the beliefs that we have. We need the church to tell people we need God because our society in large part has abandoned God. I think he also meant we need to teach the people what Jesus taught so his teachings can guide our lives. And I think he also meant we need a relationship with Jesus Christ which will transform us. And as people are transformed, we become better citizens. This world becomes a better place. I think that's what he had in mind when he said to me, we need the church. Now, this young man did not know that I was going to preach today on the parable of the four soils, which represent our response to the word of God. But though he did not know this, nor did he use the language of soils, he was concerned that we become a people and a nation that hears God's word and obeys it, that we respond to the teaching of Jesus, that we are changed by it, and that we become good soil. Now, the last point, the question. Most of you probably know what the question is. You've been thinking about yourself. And the question is this, which soil am I? Which soil am I? Well, it might be as clear as day as, I, as we've heard what Jesus taught. You might know exactly, oh, I'm this one for sure. You know, hardened soil, rocky, shallow soil, no roots. Thorny soil, just filled with all kinds of worry. Or I'm being deceived by my wealth that's choking my faith. Or maybe good soil. I've heard the word of God. I've responded to it. My faith is growing. And in fact... You might say, you know, I've been all four soils. <laughs> I've been each of those places. I've, you know, ignored God's word. I came to faith for a while, and then I kind of left for a while, and things got in the way. But now that word's planted here, and I'm seeking to grow in Christ. Well, whichever soil represents you, Jesus told this parable to invite those who hear it to put their trust in him. Faith in Christ changes how we see the world. 
It changes how we relate to other people. It changes our attitude. And it gives our lives purpose, knowing that we belong to him and we will belong to him forever. Let me conclude with something that Jesus said in John chapter 8. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen. Amen.